When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On tonight's Dad Band Land, here's some of what we're going to be talking about. Shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Cause I'm failing to entertain all of myself. Oh. Nobody gonna take my girl, I'm gonna keep her to me. All right, Dad Band Land, everybody. Dad Band Land. Welcome to Dad Band Land. Oh, my God. We're still recovering from last week's episode where Lisa Loeb dropped by to tell us um, not to call uh, her our opening act anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. and, and I think you were the only one who ever said that, and and um, I don't know why you would say that repeatedly. But oh, we're, we're going to now cut to a montage of you saying it. She was yeah. not happy with you saying that so often. You were the one saying it too, and 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 if we're being honest, <laughs> yeah. when you open for somebody, you are their opening act. End of story. Uh, math, you know what? Mathematically, that is correct. That is that is quantifiably measurable. So are you, are you saying we're going back to it? I got to know no. what we're – I'm taking the cues from you. I am counting on the fact that she doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there's the letter of let's, the law and there's the spirit of it, though. Right. Yeah. Let's but, see how long we can get this going before she catches on again that she opens yeah, for us. I will I, – <laughs> That's a great idea. Let's do exactly that. Yeah, um, a couple more, a couple more notes from last week before we uh, introduce everybody and what we're doing this week. Um, the Lisa Loeb episode. You might have noticed towards the end of the night we were in a uh, a somewhat sloppy mood. <laughs> we <laughs> we were celebrating. There were those amongst us who'd had a couple of drinks. I know the whole drunken podcast thing is kind of a thing, but uh, don't adjust your podcasting devices, everybody. That was on us. Um, although it turned out to be a really great episode, I thought. One more update is that Kevin Burke, now for the second week, is no longer in my guest house. Kevin, where are you? I am in your um, in your backyard. In your, yes. I mean, this is def- definitely a valley, sort of ET-level backyard. Um, yeah, so if you hear helicopters. Are you meaning there's, a lots of, there's lots of Reese's Pieces around? Meaning that I, yeah, that I roll a baseball into a shed and it rolls back out. I'm not entirely sure what that's all about, but it is certainly, certainly a valley backyard that I'm in. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not in a room anymore. I'm outside, and it's cold this time of year here in LA. Yeah, no it one sure seems is. To realize that it's, I can see my breath while I do this. That's how committed I am to this podcast. That I am, I'm like a sports announcer right now. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like yeah. a football coach. Yep, there are I, many I love, the I love other the parts fedora. of the world listening to this podcast that are colder than Los Angeles right now. I didn't rank them. I think people just don't know how cold it actually does get in LA. It does nights. get cold. I want to explain because it's so glamorous. It's so part of the dad band rock and roll lifestyle. Kevin is outside <laughs> because um, my wife and I are uh, renovating the garage into a two bedroom guest house so that her um, parents can move in. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's no, exactly it's what's a, happening. It's a it's a family win and a and a loss for me. This is the sacrifices that I will make to entertain people <laughs> on the podcast. Right. And, um, and, 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 and you're not recording from your house. Why again, Kevin? 
Oh, because there's there's no space for me to be without annoying somebody, waking somebody up, or the problem is that we do this late at night too, and I would like to get loud, and also I don't want anyone to know what I'm saying. You know, I mean, the house. weird thing <laughs> is you come all that way and then you just annoy us. Oh, oh. wow, Debeler, oh, Debeler, right, that was hurt. That was hurtful. <laughs> Okay, I'm um, take a little break from that. Now, uh, let me introduce the, the guy who just spoke. That's Jeffy Branion. And Jeffy Branion, uh, you're usually the guy who anchors our guilty pleasures end of the show uh, segment. Uh, but we're doing something different tonight, aren't we? Yes, we are. Do you want to tell everyone about it, Jeffy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I would love to. Uh, we're going to be talking about songs that should have been hits. But aren't hits. That's right. We figured let's change it up a little bit. We'll get to guilty pleasures. In fact, in a week or so, we're going to do all of your guilty pleasures, listeners. But for now, we thought we'd keep things interesting, like any relationship. You want to change things up. Um, Why right wasn't next to this Jeff- a hit? We <laughs> asked. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's what we ask. Right next to Jeffy is our own uh, chief vinyl officer uh, in his house of wax. It's Brian. Brian Frank, what do you have for us in the house of wax tonight? Uh, tonight we will be discussing Deep Purple's sixth album, Machine Head. I can't wait for this one. Um, it's pretty yeah. great, and and we'll, we'll get to all the reasons why it's great in a little while. I did not know it was great until this week. And of course, uh, Kevin Burke, my uh, yes. my co-host, hello, we're going to be hello. talking about one of the early songs before we were officially a dad band, but we did play it at a party. Uh, we're going to be we're in a moment. We're going to be taking apart Johnny Cash's what. Folsom Prison Blues. That's the, the right, Johnny my Clash friend. Classic. Yes, absolutely. A Johnny Clash classic. Um, Johnny, Johnny Clash classic. <laughs> Johnny Clash classic. I think is we're going to get to the Johnny Clash classic in just a minute. Before we do, though, Kevin. <laughs> um, yes. As you, as our listeners, our faithful listeners know, there's been trouble in paradise. Our dad band land is all but broken up, and you had pledged to stitch things up. Now, before I ask you how that's going. <laughs> I want yeah. to say that uh, when our podcast dropped, I suddenly, uh, earlier today, got an email from the manager of the Federal Bar, where we played a gig uh, before the pandemic, asking, mentioning that he loves the podcast and asking if we want to play another gig there. So there's, a, so there's now a uh, ticking clock on. We've got on a second ticking journey. clock in addition to our kids' school. Yes. Yeah. Well, so here's the. It's a gig without a band. It's like the land without a king. That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, we're like the monkeys. We're going to be assembled for this event. We're going to bring so, people in. For the Avengers. How, how is the, the peacemaking going? The Self-appointed Avengers. peacemaker Kevin Burke. Why, How's it going? See, why do you – you have this habit of asking me this question every week. When you know full well that I haven't made <laughs> any should, progress Maybe you on should this. start expecting it. You know, maybe <laughs> you should stop asking me questions about this subject. Stop because asking this, me the same questions over and over do you again. Why keep doing this? Why do um, you keep coming on this podcast about our dad band and asking me questions about our dad band? Asking me questions that you do every week. No, here's the deal. This is a long... First of all, it's not Trouble in Paradise. You know this. There's still a functioning band. We just have some hiccups in some places. and Some guys who I won't go. play with each other. Yeah, and so I'm working this out. It took it took Guns N' Roses like 20 years to get back yeah. together. There's some time on this. This are some right. things. This is a long. This is how's Chinese democracy get, coming, Kevin? Oh yeah, this is we're, we're in the Chinese democracy era of our dad band right now. There's certainly <laughs> certainly what we're doing. Yeah, I um I'm working on it. Jesus, right. why you keep asking me about it? I love your God response. Damn it! That's this is exactly why I keep asking you about it. All right, so <laughs> let's move on to our next segment, playing Folsom Prison Blues, which you and I did back when the band was in an earlier incarnation, and we had that guy I, I loved to death, our neighbor Phil on bass, who was always moving us towards country music. He was definitely definitely pressuring us into bluegrass, which was a a pressure I was not prepared for, and I'm not entirely yeah. sure that that I could could go there. I'm still um, counseling about it. <laughs> it's, well, f- I mean, here's the deal. It's, it's a great song, and it's a classic it's song. It's really and, great, yeah. And certain, certain people in an audience will love, love hearing that song. Um, so I think, it, I think it works. As a guitar player, it's, what makes it work is that it's, it's blues. And so you can pretty much walk into the space and say, look, it's blues and E. Here's where you know the changes, and everyone can just do it. 
Um, yeah. And I don't know if you if you had any issues with that on top of it, any particular None. Thing I mean, the thing, that, the thing that fools everybody is, is Johnny Cash actually um, simplified. The, well, uh, it's blues. like an eleven bar blues. It's like a yeah. He, like a he, missing he leaves bar. out the final. He, he goes up to the five, but instead of walking it down to the four like you do in a regular blues, he's like, "No, nah, I'm bored. I'm tired. Let's get back to the one." And he just he just skips the four entirely. It does some more interesting things than you often get because that's when I was younger. When I was playing guitar, I was never drawn into the blues at first, and I think a lot of that had to do with you know it, it's the late eighties, it's the early nineties. They were blues was not like it was in the sixties and seventies. For guitar players, right? Right. And um, so I didn't appreciate it much. Later, I did learn to appreciate it because a lot of the blues from that time period was a lot of that smoothed out, like really, really kind of adult contemporary blues music. So I didn't love it. But one thing okay. that really brings it together is that when you come to You're a hurting dad Brian's band, feelings right now. I can see him. No, on no I was going to say, I was going to say the blues of that era is uh, Eric Clapton unplugged. So, to, no, they're, oh. they're, they're, blues of that era is there's a definite sort of yuppie quality to a lot of the a lot of what people considered blues at that time, and that was not very appealing to to me. But yes. I did I just didn't go deeper to that. But what I've really come to appreciate years later is you can walk into a group of any guitar players or piano players or anybody as an adult in any neighborhood because that's what we all do, and you just say it's blues and C, and people are like, oh, okay, I can do that. You immediately know that song. Yeah. And that brings everybody together. And that's, I think every dad band has to, ha at some point, just devolves into playing blues in C, and then everyone takes a oh, turn. Oh, I think, I think every, every band has uh, moments where they just don't know what to do, to, so they play blues. Often no, somebody and, and will have I, a, yeah. In a perfect world, I would, I'd walk into a backyard and be like, we're going to do Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and C sharp, and everyone would know what I was talking about. But we're not, the world's not ready for that now, I guess. I think we just, everyone just still just plays blues in the backyard. So... Yeah, I, I want to make there. a note about this particular song, though, is because it's got that kind of country beat yes. um, and it's a blues and there's no piano part. I actually had a great time playing that because it was really easy to add sort of a Ray Charlesy kind of mess, you know, the mess around kind of piano right. part like doom da 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 da. It's really fun to do. So I, I well, love you're, you're you're liberated to do that sort of stuff to some extent bass and guitar are keeping the rhythm going to a big chunk of that song. Um, yeah. No, I think it's yeah. fun. I think, are you I think it's totally you're fun. you doing all the work? Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. Bass, though. Well, most of it. 80%. 90%. I'm just still imagining Kevin walking around with his guitar going from backyard to backyard. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I was like a, I was like a, a traveling minstrel. In Los Angeles. I was a tra <laughs> yeah, I was, a, I was, I was, I had a lute. I was playing along trying to find somebody to, to, to tell loot. stories to. I was carrying my loot, and I was like, I was trying to tell tales. You know, that's my job. When this whole, when the whole world crashes, there's that dude in Mad Max who plays guitar hanging from that chain. That's yeah. what I'm qualified for when, when the apocalypse hits. I have one job that I can do in a post-apocalyptic world. It's that guy who hangs on a chain and plays guitar next right. to the flamethrowers. That's my only job. There's only so going to be Dobros left after the apocalypse, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Dobros that's exactly right. Survive. Maybe that's true, but... You, but you know what? It's not that far from the truth. Not just me, uh, Brian. I feel like our neighborhood for a period of time, anyone who owned an acoustic guitar was like, hey, we should get together and jam. And I've definitely gone to, to jams, quote unquote jams, where there's like 10 dudes with acoustic guitars. All playing, playing blues and C. Playing blues and C <laughs> in open chords. You know what? And then that's, that's, that is, dare I say, to some extent, the culture of the dad band. <laughs> that's, that's a big chunk of it. But Not I, I do want to. I'm going like, to keep a, us. An I'm going to keep us focused on this song because then we can get out of the segment. I'm going to fight our way out of the segment. <laughs> You're going to make this work. I'm making this segment work. Oh boy. <laughs> One way that we um, polished it up a little bit and added something spicy was Phil had this gag that he uh, saw another band do that he had us do with Folsom Prison, Prison Blues. Do you remember it? Yeah. Was that when he fit Pinball Wizard into it seamlessly? Yep. He made he made the lyrics to Pinball Wizard fit with the Folsom Prison Blues melody. All of a sudden, he'd do a verse where he goes, Ever since I was a young boy, I played the silver ball. From Soho down to Brighton, I must have played them all. But I ain't seen nothing like him in any amusement hall. 
a deaf, dumb, and blind kid. <laughs> and then, then we all stopped and yelled, sure, sure plays a mean pinball. Which, which I thought, which, even stolen, was a great gag. Oh, uh, it's a funny, it's a fun bit. I mean, that's the thing with blues, too. Like I was saying, every song, so many great songs fit right into that pocket. That one particularly fits right into that pocket. Um, it's funny. It's hilarious. There's that moment where people in the audience are like, wait a minute. Wait I know that. What minute? is that? That's a thing. Wait not a the minute. next verse? Yeah, that's not how that went. That's another song. I know that other song. Um, no, that was pretty fun. That was pretty clever. And I think, um, I think your impression of him really pulled me towards, towards some sort of bluegrass right then too. I felt it, I felt it coming. That's, that's how it was. <laughs> I, I, I really lived that, didn't I? You, you became, I was watching you on the video too. You were becoming that. You were leaning in at a whole thing. Was I becoming more Phil or Johnny Cash? Oh, it wasn't Johnny Cash. So I, okay. I didn't think it was e- either. It was just, it was a guy who's getting in the bluegrass. You, you had, you had overalls on by the time you were done singing that. That was so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have to take them off. Excuse me. All right. So, uh, before we get to our next segment, which is a very popular segment, uh, we got to pay some bills. So, uh, we'll be back with Debella right after this. Debella Land. Dead band land. Dabber land is back. Welcome Dabber back. Dabber land. Guys, welcome buy those back. products. Yeah, welcome back. Um, it's time for our cocktail party conversation where we open up the floor and ask a question to everybody. And um, this week, it's kind of a fun topic, and we didn't preview it up top, so this is going to be the first you're hearing of it, audience. Um... We're calling this question Fig Leaves, your favorite songs that are totally sexual but pretend to be about something else. So it's not the overtly (laughs) sexual songs. It's the covertly sexual songs, the ones where they use a thinly veiled image, all this fruit and fresh ripe tomatoes and shit like that. What's your favorite covertly (laughs) filthy song? Well, you got to start first there, Adam. I mean, honestly, you set this up. Go with I'm going to start with a really obscure one, or I could go with a, a very common one. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start obscure because I know that Jeffy's going to love it, and that um, unless I pick Brian it. and Kevin won't know it. Oh, you might have Jeffy. I'm going with an XTC song called "Pink Thing." Oh, no, that wasn't the one I was thinking. But "Pink Thing's a good one. <laughs> it's genius. <laughs> uh, the genius of "Pink Thing" for 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 uh, Brian and Kevin, you're looking like you don't know this one. It's off of their- we, don't, we don't know it, but also isn't the segment? It was supposed to be a subtle. Like dig, I, I I don't know the song, but the title doesn't doesn't exactly seem that subtle. Well, the thing is, is that when you listen to the song for the first time, you're thinking this is about a baby. Yeah. Although you know that the title is Pink Thing, so you're like, it's not about a baby. And Andy Partridge, bless him, on the Oranges and Lemons uh, LP, which I believe is 1989, he wrote a mm-hmm. song that perfectly and kind of disturbingly um, personifies both a baby and a penis as Pink Thing. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's really funny. <laughs> In fact, let's listen to a little bit of Hank thing right now, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Make you me want to laugh. laugh. You make me want to cry. cry. And you when I stroke your head, live. I feel a hundred heartbeats me high. To die. <laughs> so I there can't, you go. I can't. Ecstasy is one of those bands, too, that I somehow miss. But everyone five years older than me has an obsessive ecstasy love. How old are you? And 47. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they nail it? Yes. Yeah. Math checks out. Yeah. <laughs> that's science kids same i still haven't i still haven't listened to them since we've been talking about it, it I oh my god even brian frank and they're a great and it, band and it's not yeah. even that it's not even that people kind of like them they just have a deep they deep knowledge yeah. that is absolutely missed from, and i love yes. to get deep knowledge I of mean, bands but yeah. i've i missed that one i would say they're the only band that i have that kind of like catalog song knowledge of like i've listened Mm. to all their albums over and over in in a way that i've never i've not listened to any other artist Mm. yeah i i would i would say i'm i'm near that category too and you know what at some point i'm gonna defy that age thing because i believe my dear friend the comedian christian finnegan who is a music obsessive too 
um, is about your age, Kevin, and I, and he's an XTC obsessive. Mm-hmm. Well, he's the, he's an anomaly. I mean, I'm not. I didn't say everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I mean, geez. Move those goals. We're not we're not here to talk about XTC. We're here to talk yeah. about d- dirty songs. Here here's another good one. Um, just because it's from my teen years, and that's Cindy Lauper's Shebop. But, I mean, and, we could, yeah, and Shebop, it's similar to the one I'm bringing up. I, I had no clue when it came out. Like, I was just a few years younger before pushing us together, and I was like, oh, it's a, ca- it's a catchy song. And then years, yeah. years later, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a oh, minute, whoa. something's going on here. I figured it out, and and the song in I found it inspirational. I you know as a as a <laughs> as a young teen, the idea that the, the the idea being expressed there that that women also masturbate and want and 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 like it created the possibility that someday my long period of, of, of early teen celibacy would come to an end. You didn't think you were the only person on earth doing this. I was glad to hear that not just the dudes I knew were doing this. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and we're willing to celebrate it in songs. So we could do an entire um, songs about masturbation segment, but we're not going to. <laughs> that's, Let me that's, right. open. that's a different podcast. Yeah. Who's, who's got yeah. one? Who's got one that yeah. they want? Well, I'm, I'm, I can, I, okay, good. Yeah. I was going to say since I was... Say, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you were like the a married reason, yeah, couple. Come on. The only reason I was going to bring it up was because it was coming off around the same era as Shebop. Go, I don't know go. if yours was. And that, that's the song, I mean, it's, it's a lesser known song, but it's the song Tambourine by Prince on Around the World in a Day. Um where you know ostensibly he, he he sees a beautiful woman and then he's like then, then he's like i got to go home all by myself and play my tambourine and then the chorus is essentially tambourine long days lonely nights tambourine and i was like oh yeah he's inspired by beauty to make music that seems seems reasonable and, and then, then he started uh, making the motion of what it would look like to play a tambourine <laughs> and you were like well that it does oh. it does raise questions as to what his method might have been of doing this when you when you mentioned I mean, the tambourine there are but, different techniques yeah, you know, and to each their own. Whatever you're gonna do in your long days, lonely nights. But uh, that was a song judge. that that was a song that was was great about it. Is I could blast that song with my parents. They they didn't know because they thought it was about tambourines as well. Or at least I assume they did. And then uh, <laughs> then I realized <laughs> then I realized oh oh god, there's something else going on here. So well, well Prince is a whole subcategory himself because I is, would say about uh, uh, his sex songs are about thirty percent covert. And thirty percent overt, and you know another forty percent. I don't know what you'd call it. Just <laughs> no, it's, no, you're right. When he was being coy, he would lean into being coy, and when he decided he, it was over, it was oftentimes shockingly not coy. Yeah, there, An- there, another one from Prince, uh, though not by him, by him, but not from him. In the '80s, was the one he wrote for Sheena Easton, right? Sugar Walls, Sugar Walls, which um, created a lot of problems, con- which controversy amongst, but again, again. Parents, parents were against it, and, and I was young enough. I was like, "What's the problem? It's sugary walls." I don't understand this shit. Can you guys even explain very... to me what that song's about? <laughs> that wasn't even very subtle. That was, "It's heaven on earth. Come inside my sugar walls." <laughs> yeah, what's Literally it about? A lyric from that. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you when you do a dramatic reading of it, it actually seems even crazier. I mean, like can that. you can you break it down for me, please? Okay, Jeffy, well, it's yeah. about the Hansel and Gretel fairy tale. Yeah. And it's from the point of view of the witch. That is mind-blowing, dude. Yep. I, yep. I never... To, to Gingerbread House, yeah. What? All right, uh, Brian Frank, you, you, you yeah, were ready, ready to, to say go. something. You're ready to go. Yeah, well, here's the thing is I, you know, had a real issue with this topic and coming up with songs because as a child of the 80s, you know, my listening habits were Kiss, White Snake, <laughs> yes. Two Live Crew, we could uh-huh. just so you, do kiss. You were, you were dealing right? in a yeah, world of, of such subtle double entendres as lick it up, lick oh, it up, love, love gun, love gun. <laughs> what's it love about? Gun, well, right? muscle, what's it muscle, about? Alice Cooper's muscle of love was another one I didn't right? get for years. Yep. I was like, oh there wait, you go. the muscle of love. Well, is that, that the heart? That's, that's just the heart. You're not getting it. I yeah, mean, I was like, I thought on. it was the heart. It's the heart, buddy. It's the heart. It's the muscle of love. But Brian, you had one. You did bring one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. All night. Let's put the X in sex. And, you know, I started looking at some of these. <laughs> <that> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like muscle of love. Let's put the X in sex. How about um, love's like a muscle and you make me want to flex. That doesn't even make any sense, by the way. 
No, I mean, but I, it I, just I, rhymes. I, Paul likes to rhyme, but baby, let's put the X in sex. Keep it undercover, baby. Let me be your private eye. Oh, there's a, he likes detectives. Yeah, I we don't know I, that. Yeah. I don't well, think that, that fits a, into this category because that doesn't nah, fit into no. any category but, of any but, song that makes any there, fucking there sense. Are, there are categories like the way the, to the point where it, it's filthy for like 80% of it, and the 20% that's not, as a kid, you're like, that's got to be horrible. Whatever they're saying, it's got a private eye must be something absolutely <laughs> filthy. I got to look that up. And that turns out to not be the case. To that, to your White Snake point, there's that the song in Still, uh, not Still the Night. Um, oh, gosh. The song that opens. I can't think, remember the name of the song, but he says women go crazy with thoughts of retribution, which, first of all, doesn't make sense to me. Never proven yeah. to be actually true that women don't get excited about retribution. And I thought it had to be filthy. I wanted to turn that, that part of the song down because he said it in such a filthy manner that I thought it was dirty. So, there, wow. yeah, there's a um, whole other ways to get there. Both yeah. of my metalheads are failing so on this good. on this assignment. Um, <laughs> Jeffy, you know, I wonder why that is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have one for this one. It was Sugar Walls. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I mean, interesting. It, it, yeah, maybe it was a bad topic. I think maybe what we're learning here, what bad. we've learned today. It it's was just that it you was, guys hit the low-hanging fruit, and that's, <laughs> that's all I was going to hit. Oh, is oh, that well, one of the lyrics? low-hanging yeah. fruit is a great <laughs> oh, one. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm saying anything I came up with, you guys have already come up with. Well, I had other ones in mind. I did have a Rehana song. It was a uh, birthday cake. Also, of course, my milkshake. Obviously, oh, yeah, milkshake. Yeah, milkshake. Obvious one. And yes. one that we already covered on this podcast, which opens up an entirely different genre, which is Aerosmith's big 10 inch record. I almost brought that one up because that fits into a category that I would consider ACDC's big balls, where it's almost, oh, yeah. as, as a kid, it's almost yep. like it's a joke to us. Like, I know what it's about, but I bet old people don't know what the song's really about. You yeah. know, like they were secretly playing. About, <laughs> whereas every older whereas person, every adult person was like, knew what was happening. But I was like, no, they're singing about having a big banquet. You know, it, yeah, uh, it's like it's like when someone asks you, you know, to 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 bring uh, a Bible verse to the table, and you say, "And Jesus rode into Jerusalem on his ass." Oh, because you think it's funny. Yeah, it's not out of respect. This is a very specific <laughs> example, yeah. Jeffy. We went to a disturbing place. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little uneasy. I How was that received at the we've table? All been. No, <laughs> this is not no. as universal as you think. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, also, you also have like there's a <laughs> Jewish contingent on this podcast as well. <laughs> What? <laughs> Who never had to bring a Bible verse to a to a, a potluck? I, um, I grew up in a, yeah, I grew up Catholic. Never had to happen either. Hey, uh, before we before we leave this veil of tears, I do want to point out Big Ten Inch Record. The reason I brought that one up is because in, if we're talking about uh, you know just covertly yet overtly dirty songs, that one was by I believe Bull Moose Jackson. Was it? That that was Big the Bill only Bronzy? cover on that album. Was oh, it a Big I, Bill Bronzy? No. Yes, maybe. No, I think uh, you know. You know, we should look it up. But I thought it was Bull Moose yeah. Jackson. In any case, you know, there was a whole genre of music that Aerosmith clued into from the fifties that that disappeared kind of in the late fifties, which was simply called Dirty Blues. And big ten-inch record. It was. It was mostly. It was mostly on the African American, you know, touring circuit. But it was like a big deal in the early fifties, I think. And uh, and that song, Big Ten Inch Record, is a cover from a, a classic dirty blues tune. And we could spend all night naming dirty blues. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm sure we could spend like all night yeah. naming covers of uh, songs that were originated by black artists that were then appropriated by white artists. Absolutely. That's a whole show. Yes, we Led we, Zeppelin one through that's, four. That's, that's, that's <laughs> at every, least a whole every, other yeah. show. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, there's no, no doubt. It might be no an entire question. podcast. Yeah, that's its own <laughs> yeah. podcast. No, it would. No that doubt. might live longer than this podcast in terms of like not running out of material. Because <laughs> yeah. let's face it, we're <laughs> out of guilty we're pleasures. Of that, yeah. <laughs> we, oh, that's, we can start with stuff stolen from black artists now and and, and be. Great at the next turn of the century. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. Yes. Um, the healing begins here. <laughs> Although, if I and I, I, I am so sorry that I'm telling this story wrong because I don't know if it's Bull Moose Jackson. That's just what I, I jotted down. But Big Ten Inch Record led to somehow 
his career and he had left music and was like being a janitor or something. But some kids at the school where he was a janitor discovered he was him and decided to be his backing band. And he had another whole section of his career. Oh, in that's the 70s. great. Yeah. I didn't know. It I is Paul Moose Jackson. No it is great. Yeah. That, that I, is... I, I, a good story. That's a positive ending to that. Oh yeah, it that. is. These kids were like, "Are you Bullmoose Moose Jackson?" And he, he like he like put down his mop and said yes. And they were like, "Can we be your backing band?" Oh, that's and that great. like led to his new career. The, the one thing I'd say though, I is might have that completely wrong because this is a memory of a story. Yeah, he didn't write the song. He was known for performing it, but it was mm. composed by Fred Wisemantle. We could do okay. a whole podcast on Jews writing songs For that were popularized people. by <laughs> black people. Yep. And then stolen by Christians. Hound dog. <laughs> and then stolen by Christians. Yes. It's the circle of life. <laughs> yes, and before before uh, the next the next set of teeth hits, if the next any of neck. this is acceptable. <laughs> I think all of this is great. And uh, with oh. that in mind, we're going to see if we still have any sponsors. We'll be back right after this on Dad Badland. <laughs> And we're back on Dad Band Land, and we've been having a, a lot of fun <laughs> behind, uh, during the commercials. So definitely check out that Patreon account we're going to set up at some point. It might be here already. We have but weeks now, to set it up. Yeah. We really do, because we, we're, you know, we're we have some lead future. time here. Yeah. Yeah. By the time people hear this, Kevin will have gotten our band back together. Okay, so <laughs> we're going <true>. to... <laughs> we'll all be old. Er... All yeah, right, so be. now we are now you're we are going to wander. Been, and now you're now old. you're older still. Yeah. All right. Now we're gonna now hold hands and look apprehensively up in the sky because we are walking into Brian's house of wax. Oh Woo! my goodness! Ow! All right. I'm so excited about <laughs> this. Wolfman Brian, what do you have for us this week? <laughs> Uh, I'm pumped too, Kevin, uh, to be talking about Deep Purple's Machine Head. Uh, I'll open up with a a couple of facts here. Um, So uh, this record was released on March 25th, 1972, which uh, puts it at uh, 50 years at the time that we're uh, recording this, you're you're hearing this. Um, And this record for Deep Purple is like their... Led Zeppelin 4 or ACDC Back in Black or Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, when people are like, Deep Purple, what should I listen to? This is most people's entry point to Deep Purple, which I want to talk about later because it's it's hard to encapsulate Deep Purple into one record because they're one of the few bands that had three different lead singers Mm. in a very short period of time, which is interesting. Um, but anyway, this record was their biggest commercial success. It was uh, number one in the UK, where uh, stayed for a couple weeks. Number one in Australia, Canada, Denmark, France, Germany, Netherlands. Uh, number three in Norway, number four in Austria and Sweden, number six in Japan, and number seven in America. So that's a big deal because most of their other records didn't have chart positions like that for their entire career. Um, and this is all driven well, it's still by going on. They still yeah. got a shot, right, Brian? They still got a shot. That's true. Um, <laughs> and driven by uh, "Smoke on the Water," which is the one Deep Purple song that most people know, and is you know their that their signature song and one of the signature songs I'd say of hard rock or heavy metal. We need to talk about that song at at yeah. some length in a little while. Yes. And what's fascinating about the song and what I want to talk about is the song, the lyrics of the song are the story of recording this album. So if you're not interested in hearing what I'm about to tell you, just listen to the song. It's a little (laughs) longer than the the story I'm about to tell, but it's the same thing. That's my problem with those lyrics, but go ahead. This is a great story. It's got a better riff, though. Yeah, true, true. So so here's the thing is this was the first time that the band actually – uh, wanted to go focus on making an album. Previous to this, they'd like dip into studios in between tours and gigs and stuff. And they were like, if we could just go away someplace and focus on making an album, we feel like, you know, it'll be a better album. Um, and also they felt like their live show sounded much better than their albums had. So they had this vision of, we need to find a, a venue 
and record in a venue like we're playing a gig. And their managers were smart and said, well, because of UK tax law, let's do this someplace other than England. So they settled on uh, the Montreux Casino um, in Montreux, Switzerland, with, uh, and they used the Rolling Stones Mobile Studio, which we got to do a whole segment on that. Totally. It's a fascinating thing, I, the I Rolling Stones that. Mobile Studio. Um, it, it really is. And so anyway, so they went to Montreux to set up and do it. The day before they're about to record at the casino, Frank Zappa was playing a gig and someone stupid with a flare with the mother's invention (laughs) and someone stupid with a flare gun. uh, Someone with a flare gun shot a flare into the ceiling, burned the whole place down. Yeah. And so (laughs) the band was like, "Okay, well, we got to make a new plan here. Um, They went into a place uh, for a day and there were so many noise complaints that they had to move on. Uh, and they moved to the Grand Hotel. And in two weeks, they wrote and recorded this entire album in this old drafty hotel that they lived in and recorded in. Um, and there was a song, they, a riff that they, that Richie Blackmore had called Song Number One, and that became Smoke on the Water telling the story of making this album. And if you listen to the lyrics, too, on the song uh, Pictures of Home, it's descriptions of the scenery as well in Montreux. So you can really tell they wrote it there, they recorded it there. It, it has the sense of place. Um, the irony is they didn't think Smoke on the Water was a commercial song. They didn't think that was <laughs> going to be the song, right? Which is pretty good. There's a reason and, why, and we should get to that in just a minute. I'm not sure there is a reason and, why. I think, it, I, I, I think it's such <laughs> All right, then a we're going to get song. to it right now. Yeah. It, it's a great song, but here's the, here's, if you're if you're deep purple and you've just recorded smoke on the water and you're looking at your lyrics, your lyrics probably strike you as pretty dumb because it's not really a song. It's basically almost in the exact words that Brian just told the story. It's a story and it's, I, a, st- and it's a literal story. And yeah, but it's I like, think you're working they literally the- say some stupid with a, with a flare gun burnt the whole place down. I think you're thinking and- that people think about the lyrics of smoke on the water and really people think about that riff and they think about that chorus. And that's yes, and, the, and at the end of the day, absolutely. that makes that makes the song, it makes them into legends. But and I, I think if people yeah. knew that it was such a direct and literal story song, they wouldn't think it was as cool because there's almost no imagination exercised in that. But the fact is, is that it's just evocative. That riff and the word smoke on the water, you know, fire yeah. in the sky, like they they've got you, even though they're you know, they're just doing it like a like a a country hoedown type story song. <laughs> well, here's the thing about country about hoedown type <laughs> story song has never been used to describe exactly. smoke on the water before. So I'm it's not exactly sure. What I'm it not is. sure I agree with this, but Hand I'm noting God. that. Yeah. I'm noting that. Yeah. Continue. Here's the thing, though, about Deep Purple. It, it's history has not treated them as well, but in this era, in the early '70s, they were as big as Led Zeppelin, if not bigger, at certain points. They had a jet that had deep purple on the side where they flew around and toured. And I think one of the reasons why the band is not regarded in the same light is Adam's point, which is, and and I want to be clear here. I love deep purple. I will talk Uh about deep purple all day. I have all of their records. I'm a huge fan, but, but I find the lyrics are the weak point of this band. They're incredible musicians. I love all the riffs. I love all the playing. I love Richie Blackmore. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan, but the lyrics sometimes let me down. And I find that, you know, for me, most there, you can categorize people as like lyrics people or, or music people when what they react to in songs. And I'm more of a music person and the words to me, unless I'm listening to like Bob Dylan or something. If it's like a rock thing, I, I care less about the words than I do about the playing. So I let it slide. But I think that's why they're not still up there. I just want to agree with Brian entirely as a guy who never listened to Deep Purple with any seriousness until this week. I love this album, and I agree with you about the lyrics. Uh, to, to me, uh, you know, lifelong listener and new listener, I have, I have the exact same impression as you. Take it away, Kevin Burke. Well, what I was going to say is I, I agree. I mean, although a lot of classic rock lyrics are still terrible for bands that remain super successful. Like, it's not like Black Sabbath sure. or even Led Zeppelin have had have songs that are of perfect lyrics. But I, I do think that that 
Deep Purple suffers, unfortunately, for the, from the Spinal Tap-isms, the fact that they use the marks and Spinal Tap is clearly based on Deep Purple yes. to a large extent. That's not helping. But then on the flip side, I see White Stripes. <laughs> I see White Stripes and Black Keys, and I'm like, this is Deep Purple. This is more Deep Purple than Led Zeppelin, right? This is more yeah. that with the organ and the keyboard and that sort of that sort of blues. I think what ends up happening is every every band needs that record, that one single record. They have one record that's like that. The problem is they don't have a Led Zeppelin three. They don't have a Le- they don't have the singular other records that you go buy after this record is part of is part of the issue. But I love that might really be Deep it. Purple. I want to get I want to get into talking yeah. about the music itself in just a minute. But first, I want to open up because I'm guessing that Jeffy Brannion also was not a huge fan of the album Machine Head. So I want to get his impression right here as well. <laughs> well, I, I have to say my favorite part of the album is only from the 2012 remaster, which uh, has the When a Blind Man Cries B-side. And a minute 15 into that, there's a nice blues guitar solo. And wow, great. Well, let's hear. Yeah. We're going to hear a little bit of that right now. Good. <laughs> let's hear it. Yeah, that's definitely a, that's, you know, there's some great solos on here. What's weird is that it's the heart of the song. Like, there's a, a minute of buildup and uh, some lyrics, and then there's this, like, chunky section of this uh, solo in the middle, and then it doesn't come back. But to me, it's the it's the best thing on the album, and it wasn't even on the original. <laughs> It's, it's, I think there's I some mean, great stuff Black on that Moore's, album, though. I mean, yeah. I was completely unaware of the work of Mr. Ian Lord. John uh, Lord. So, can I, John can I Lord. ask this? Can I, yeah, can I ask this to you? Because I know you weren't familiar with the album, but because it's such a classic that, you know, almost half the songs are still staples on the radio, Adam. I know you didn't pick the album out, but did you know most of the songs, or was this really a brand new experience for you? I knew like three of the songs. I mean, I'd heard more than three of the songs, but I never paid attention. If I'd been paying attention, I would have noticed how great um, John Lord is because not only is he fantastic on that keyboard and, and like like Richie Blackmore, like the rest of the, them, clearly a whole lot of classical training goes in there. Um, but like he, the sound he gets out of that organ, I looked oh, yeah. it up. It's not a Hammond B3, it's a Hammond C3, which is pretty interesting. And he runs it through a Marshall stack to get this incredibly distorted, nasty, gnarly sound out of it, which is like, you know, people, when they hear that organ sound, they think of, you know, hits with that organ sound on it, like, say, Born to be Wild, right? But he he made it howl, and he did it beautifully and better than anyone I've ever heard. Jeffy, you had something to say about this. Yeah, I was just saying that they also used some uh, filters in an interesting way. There was a song, there was, uh, I'm trying to remember which song it is. Lazy, maybe? But there's a, a point, there's there's some filter they've got on the guitar, and somebody's cranking the filter, and it just... Yes, I think it is Lazy, because Lazy is an extended blues jam, and it's it's really fun. Um, I want to bring up, I, I you know, when Kevin brought up the Spinal Tap thing, I feel like that's so accurate, and it's not just because their lead singers exploded and stuff. It's also <laughs> because it's the marks. There's that there's that patina of classical overlay, which you know was a huge thing in progressive rock, but had a kind of a more comical strand in metal, which Deep Purple was obviously the pioneer of. Um, you combine that with their lyrics, and look, and, and I you love combine that you combine that with them them lasting through various phases of rock style. Yes, on top of it, like the Spinal Tap. I want to I want to quote a lyric because I I listened to Highway Star wherein I love Highway um, Star. these guy this guy talks about his possessions which is his car his brain <laughs> right, right. Which, and nobody's going to take him from him yeah. and his woman which these is also a possession these are deep yeah. purple values <laughs> right yes, from they the start are. <laughs> hits, hits the ground and, and with got a this... list of deep purple values no one's going to take him he's they're threatening <laughs> to take him from him and he's like no way no yes. effing way. 
while there's this virtuoso thing happening, right? It's just, it's so cool on, 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 on the keyboard and the guitar and the keyboard and guitar solo. And so the lyric that came to mind while I was listening to this with the, with the my woman is like my car thing and, and, and all the loud guitars was this lyric. I met her on Monday. Oh. Twas my lucky bun day. You know what I mean. Right. Yeah. 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 It's the twas. It's the it's the lucky bun day. It's it, lofty. A it's, lot it, of spinal it is, tap. It is very lofty. <laughs> no, well, that, just, that is unfortunately and, true. But 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 the but the but the flip side is Machine Head kicks ass. That's ultimately yes. no, it does. It does and, unquestionably. And to your point about the classical influence, um, Blackmore has said his idea for the riff for Smoke on the Water, actually, uh, he was inspired by Beethoven's Fifth. Four oh. notes, right? And putting that together. Uh, this is another one I want to that, mention. That makes total sense yeah. to me because, because yeah. there's a brutality to, uh, to Beethoven's Fifth. I mean, that's yeah. why it's catchy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I want to mention this one, too. I think I've, I've mentioned this in... Uh, about some other songs, definitely uh, in the Aerosmith segment. The first time I ever heard Smoke on the Water was actually, the way I found out about the song was Boogie Down Productions' You Slippin', if you know that song. Oh, my it's, God. It's Smoke yeah. on the Water. I I Because I discovered wow. all this rock music through hip-hop. I didn't know what these songs were, and I just knew it from that song. And then some other kid, I was playing it, and some other kid's like, oh, yeah, that's Smoke on the Water. I'm like, what's Smoke <laughs> yeah. on the Water? What are you talking what, about? What a totally. great thing yeah. to reach for Boogie Down Productions. For those of yeah. you kids out there who don't remember <laughs> early hip-hop, Boogie Down Productions, for a while, was right up there with the great classic, you know, relevant hip-hop artists. KRS-One was their their, uh, their MC, and, you know, He's they would be spoken five. of in the same breath yeah. as Public Enemy and... And and iced tea and all and all those others, but uh, they just kind of disappeared. Can I take a that's moment a to discuss? That's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. Yep. <laughs> Let's take a moment to discuss what's my absolute favorite on this album, which is which is space trucking. And I gotta discuss why yeah, I think space trucking is so it's so amazing. Because <laughs> space trucking space trucking's in a handful of songs that are just always running through my brain. Like if I'm sitting still, just look like I'm thinking, there's a high chance that space trucking is just playing through my brain at that moment because everything about it is everything. If you want to know, if you want to know what I, you want to find my interests. Oh, no, that is just it. Preposterous lyrics. It's taking, it's taking the seventies trucking craze and moving it to space. I'm on board. I'm totally on board with that. Lyrics about traveling to Venus, lyrics about traveling to Mars. I am sold. And then it does that thing to it, like Cheap Trick obviously does it well too. You say, come on, you invite me on this trip. I am totally, I am totally fine. And then yeah. you put a snare on all four beats and you're like, come on, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I, I, li- I like to have lofty, <laughs> lofty goals, but certain things make me a very simple machine and space trucking just nails it. It's got a great riff, it's got the four beat snare, it invites me along on the ride, it talks about traveling through space. What more do you yeah. need? Is it, is it the perfect yeah. song? It's nearly the perfect rock song. It's not, but I want to affirm you, though, Kevin, because, you know, I, I bet a bunch of our listeners come from, like, the, you know, may, maybe some of our listeners come from I've Heard Adam on NPR, right? And if, so if you're, if you're one of those NPR guys and you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to this breakdown of, <laughs> of, of Machine Head by Deep Purple. Please, please keep listening. Please. <laughs> and you're thinking, yes, please keep listening. But you're thinking like, wow, that album sounds really stupid. I want to say two things. Number one, yes, it is. And number two, you absolutely have to listen to it because it's, it's great. Yeah. And if that that yeah. is an aesthetic like this, this is outrageous and maybe dumb. You have to experience it. I think that is absolutely. Much, that's a very 100%. rock and roll. That's a very rock and roll 100%. attitude. I think that is perfect. <laughs> And I endorse that a thousand percent. And Space Trucking, to me, embodies that. Like, it ends it. The apotheosis. And I also feel like a great record ends with with such a great song, you want to just flip the record over and and listen to it again, right? You're so pumped by it. You want to start it all over. And Space Trucking, you're like, that was incredible. Flip it over, Highway Star. And it bookends Highway Star, so you put it on again. Yeah, Yeah, you've created it. It's infinite. Machine Head is infinite in that sense. (laughs) It is. It is. It's an Ouroboros. It's enough. Like it's just everything you need. The other thing that's remarkable to me about this album, that is such a wonderful album. It's seven songs and clocks in at 37 minutes and 46 seconds. And you know what? 
That's economy. all you need. That, yeah, that's, that's all you need. We haven't had this discussion, but I, I firmly believe, yeah, under 40 minutes is the sweet spot. My problem Whoa. with most of, 90s, most of 90s records is they're almost all, even the good ones, could lose two or three songs. I think we should uh, the I think sweet we spot's do... about 30, 37. To, all the Beatles albums, all the early Van Halen albums, they're about 37 minutes long. We should do, Jeff a, is about we should to do a whole something. show of albums under 40 minutes. I uh, Totally right. And I think they That'll I keep think it positive because we could do a whole show of, of albums that are 60 minutes and should be 37. Oh, oh no. And I, and I do think most of the 90s is like we had 76 minutes. We need to use 76 minutes. And what's nice in the in the vinyl era is they had like 42 minutes. It's the best of the best. There's no filler. There's It's just all you're, the top stuff. You're not yep. wrong. Although all of Deep Purple's lyrics are filler. Um, <laughs> that, that is a bold <laughs> claim. part of the album had no lyrics. <laughs> Speaking of well, filler, we have well, some bills to pay and uh, maybe use this product to fill your pillows. We are back, everybody. <laughs> we were just saying during the break that like uh, because we've done Machine Head and, and, and you know, we did we did Toys in the Attic a few weeks ago. Um, Jeffy and I get our pick next week on the album. Seriously. We haven't come up with it yet. Why, We're going to make why, up why an anniversary. Because we've division. had enough what's burnout. The, yeah, we've what's had the division burnout here? Rock. I don't There's no know. Division. My, my, we've my friend Renee things, would call somehow... this burnout rock. What we I was, <laughs> uh, excuse me, I, I was promised a segment. Oh, yeah. I've lost <laughs> it. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, We're, yeah. You're interested. <laughs> you're getting a segment. I, you know what? I mean, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I would, uh, not is, I don't know, show. but why? Uh, I was all... contractually obligated to a segment. <laughs> if you see my contract, you'll see in B3 <laughs> subpart A. Yeah, I do. I do like that somehow that, that that I'm Brian and I are lumped in in some sort of gang together. Of like, oh, we just happen you're to like a, a lot of bit music. Of a gang. Yeah, but you're the gang of Kiss wax. fans. Yeah, no, there's one Kiss fan, and it's not me. I'm a fan of the yeah. Elder. Well, you. That's not a Kiss fan. You know fan. what? I'm I'm just reporting my feelings, but yeah, you, you think feel anyone like a gang a when you talk about Kiss? Okay. And all right, now I want to I want to just cut in here and say, Brian, I do feel you, and I hear you, and we'll work this out. But I want you to imagine that Brian's house of wax is now renting an apartment out over the garage. Yeah, Fonzie's apartment. And Fonzie's apartment is filled with ecstasy fans over the garage. Yeah, and in there are two sullen guys, <laughs> sullen guys with mascara on who cut themselves just to feel alive and just listen to, to a certain anything. kind of '80s music yeah. that you never listened to. Still, we want Renee to listen to the show, so we can't do burnout all the time. No, no, it's. it's no, you guys, clearly, I clearly know what happened. You guys were like in high school, and someone was listening to to the Machine Head driving by. Throwing, th spitting at you, being and they're a, like and Camaro, like, yeah, Camaro, and they're like, you guys are like those are burnout rock. They should appreciate our art rock of whatever it was called, the tepid heart or whatever crap you were listening to. Yeah, that, that was the garage that, was the garage that I would school. bike by where the Trans Am was <laughs> no. up on cement no, blocks. It's, it's probably there was no machine yeah. head listening at my high school. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure there were other Zero. things available at my high school. Um, at least All when right. I got there. Let's move on. Let's move on to the segment that we came back to do, which is um, we're replacing for this week. We will get back to it. We're going to get back with your guilty pleasures. But for this week, instead of guilty pleasures, we're doing hidden treasures. Ooh, right. Hidden treasures. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice. Nice. These yeah, are songs that and, and I want to be real clear about this. These are songs. They're not like. Songs that you love, deep cuts that you love. They're songs that are deep cuts that you genuinely can't understand how this didn't become a single and then a hit. My example is was a single too. So I mean, there's there's very specific things we had. Great, there. yeah, yeah. I, I don't even I don't even know if mine was a single or not. Um, but let's um, let let's stipulate the the thing about it is when you when you go to the uh, documentation for this show and you look into our show description and you see that little link for the playlist that you can click on my hope is when you listen to the last four songs on the playlist for this particular show you'll be like yeah those are four hits that should have happened but weren't yeah. kevin oh should i start this yeah why not? i'm ready to start this because um my hit comes from 1995 and it was oh, a boy. single and i heard mm -hmm. it and when i heard it on the radio i thought this 
is awesome. This song is going to transcend genre. It's going to be catchy to everybody. This should be massive. And that song is the song Downtown Venus by PM Dawn. Are you guys familiar with Downtown Venus by PM no. Dawn? Oh my god, what? Dawn. Right, that's pretty that's awesome. amazing. That's a good song. Right. That's yeah, a no, great, great song. Yeah. So, so downtown Venus to me, first of all, I mean, I first heard that and I thought this is gonna be huge because it was a mix in the mid '90s. It's like pop, it was rock, it was R and B, it was psychedelia, it was alternative. There's a a backwards guitar solo, and this is from. First of all, PM Don should get more love than they get anyway but pm don right. Jeff, jeffy's raising the roof for them right now yeah pm don was great and um this song should have been enormous it even has a deep purple sample thus uh, the song hush is like the base of the rhythm there and it uh to me this this should have done what hey uh the song hey did about eight years later i hear that yeah it seemed to transcend all these genres and bring everything together. It's one. Hey, is one of those few songs where everybody everywhere can agree is a great yeah, song, and they can't no stop doubt. listening to it. I felt downtown Downtown Venus was the same way. In fact, when it was first released, it was released on alternative radio to try to cross over into that space. But it only made it to like forty eight on the Hot one hundred, right? It never made it higher Forgotten. than like the middle yeah. of it. Meanwhile, when Hey, comes out, which is which is a great song, but covers that same sort of like. Every basketball pop. arena, every yeah. baseball stadium. Yeah, I mean that's number one for for like nine weeks. Do you know what I mean? That that topped yeah. so yeah. many charts, and I no. think the world was Great. not ready for Downtown Venus. But you should be. You should listen to it. And put it in your playlist. <laughs> I am playlists. now ready for it. Because it's a tremendous <laughs> song from a great band that time uh, seems to have forgotten a little bit. And I think PM. Dawn All right, a great, uh, Brian. Yours. So uh, my song is from two thousand four. Uh, there's a band that came out of New York called The Secret Machines. And uh, they put out an album called Now Here Is Nowhere. And the first single from that album was called Nowhere Again. Can we listen to yeah. it a sec? Yeah, please. I don't, I yeah. don't know that one. Jeffy, can you bring it up? Yes, I can. That was great. I, Brian, I got to say, I hear a great song. I'm not sure I hear a hit. I, I Whoa. Wow. I, I'm not sure. I, I hear, look, I'm putting myself into 2004, and I'm hearing a hit. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it, it, yeah you might be right. You might be right. Think uh, it, it, about I just, the era of the strokes. Totally. It's, right? it's, oh, that's it, true. It has that's a true. strokes feel to it. It's There's the emo you know, movement going on at that same time. I mean, 2000, the mid-2000s I would draw my comment. is a weird time for singles in the business in general so i don't know how anything became a hit back then but i i don't disagree that, that rocks i think that was a rocks. great song in fact i feel like that song was missing one great commercial to be in and it would have been a massive hit do you know oh yeah. yes it yeah. could have absolutely been in some kind of like a yeah. car commercial like a car, or something. Some car commercial yeah. or yeah. Uh, yes. of the time yeah. like that's the kind lifestyle of thing. car commercial not yeah. not the driving car commercial the lifestyle car commercial <laughs> exactly yeah. To appeal to, or or honestly, at that time, the an iPod commercial would have sold that yeah. song. Right, right. You know? Oh, yeah. hell yes, with the silhouettes. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's got I, the I'm tempo. loving this segment a lot. Yeah, it's got the tempo. It's got lyrics. Um, you know, it's got this the really cool uh, turnaround in it. Yep. It builds it's, up to a nice a nice chorus that yes. is a massive elevation from the from the verses, which is always exciting. It is. I love it. That was great. I'm learning. And it went nowhere. It went nowhere. Listen to this record. The band went nowhere, but boy, that was was a a great song. That's sad. Jeffy, what do you got for us? I don't know if I ignored the prime directive here, but (laughs) this is, this is one of my favorite albums. And I picked one song off of it. Um, That's kind of ignoring the prime directive. Yeah. But it should but have been a hit. We, we don't know. We don't know. It should, we don't know. It should have been a hit. Okay, let's you, hear it. What is it? You 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 put that qualifier in. You you didn't 
put that qualifier in when you told me to pick a song, but when you introduce the segment, suddenly there's this qualifier like, <laughs> oh, don't pick one of your favorite songs. Was that was that Adam? What? That's that no. was that's how he sounds. Was that, was that, that's not Adam. Doing Adam. Don't pick one that's, of that's your a favorite songs. Of me. That's not even wow. What there's, I sound like. there's two Adams here now. This is so crazy. Wait, is that is, is that Johnny neither, Cash? I neither said that nor sound like that. Yeah, well, oh, I can't tell who's just Adam play, anymore. Just tell us about the song. Jesus, Jesus. All right, this is a song called "Come On, Collapse." It's off the Shifting Skin. Album by On, led by Ken Andrews. This album is crazy. And this song I is... almost, Jeffy, I almost picked a failure song. Oh, man. We have to talk. What? Yes. What year is this album? This is 2000. Let's and hear it. I'm telling you, this is all gold. And I picked the first song just because it's great. Here we go. If it's a problem, I want you to stay with me tonight. I'll understand you, it's my only claim to expertise. Okay. Yeah, I would no, say uh, you could put any Ken Andrews song. You're the rabbit any. on fail anything. Rabbit. This guy, yes. I thought that that, that, that was a great. That was Here two things. You. I think that was a great song. I'm very glad we got to see that song. Also, if I had to pick a song that sounds the most 2000, that's like the most 2000 <laughs> sound song. I don't, like there's like little break. There's little 2000. peak 2000. There are little breakdowns that had like little digital hits, and there's little yep. verses, and it's the oh, most yeah. 2000 produced thing i'd ever but I've but ever but it was it was like expelled out of the colon of the 90s too i mean there's a whole like there's a george michael thing there's a there's a jesus jones there is yeah, I mean, so I think, much yeah. going on like yeah it, i'd say it's song it, structure it, it, it's like sure, an encyclopedia and a, like uh it's like a it's exciting which, and and yeah. jeffy you did not ignore the prime directive that song should have been a hit that's, that's a fantastic that was right? great just because yeah. it was one of my favorites. Honestly, Jeffy, if you had told me that it was a hit, I would have just assumed that it was. I would have just been like, that yeah. sounds like the songs it, that were hits in 2000 I'm that telling I, I you, missed out on. Listen to that album, and you'll be like, why? What the, what the shit? Yeah. Why haven't I heard <laughs> all of these songs before? And it, they're all incredible. What's the, what's the title of that song again? That was Come On Collapse off of Shifting Skin by On. So, um, slingshot, soluble words, perfect. I mean, I could just go on. Thematically, this thematically, this fits into my space trucking theory where they say, come on, they're inviting us into the song. There's a, there's an invitation. Yes. You can't beat that. Fantastic. All right. Fantastic. All right. Now I'm going to do mine, but you know what? I I suspect you guys all know, you guys have all heard the song that I'm going to do. So I feel like mine is boring. Uh, compared to yours, although I do feel like it should have been a hit. Um, I'm going to take you back to the 80s, and punk was slowly dying, and the punk that wasn't dying was starting to move into the mainstream and would move firmly into the mainstream, as we've talked about many times, by the early 90s and and get and get much poppier. Um, in the late 80s, the band Husker Du stopped being a band, and the man Bob Mould... Mm-hmm. Uh, started releasing um, uh, solo albums, which he, I think he still does to this day. And I, I could have picked any one of maybe 12 Bob Mould songs that I can't believe aren't hits. The one I'm going to pick, uh, because the chorus is so freaking ca- catchy that I can't understand how this wasn't like in some teen movie and turned into a hit, is from 1989, the, movie, the album Workbook. Jeffy, could you please play for us a little bit of See a Little Light? Yeah, how did Cameron Crowe not find that's that song? That's great. Well, he still could. I mean, that's still that still <laughs> works. Yeah, that was, you, that's super I'm sure catchy, you could right? get his email. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that what so, you saying, so I have a question. Like, 
because some of like Downtown Venus is a song that I I remember I bought the cassette single of it. I loved it so much, and then I was surprised <clears> it wasn't a hit. Was that a song that you just had in the back of your head this whole all these years, just seeing him in films you never made, seeing it in the, like how, what's your relationship to that song? Oh yeah, no, no. There's there's a couple of Bob Mould songs, some some with the band Sugar that have been in my head forever. And I'll tell you what, what I didn't discover it so much as I used to do a radio show in Boston right after this dude who did a a fusion jazz and rock show. Is he still? I think he's still doing shows in Boston. His name is Steve Cantor. He was fun fact about Steve. He was Pat Metheny's. Uh, roommate at uh, wow. one of the two big, uh, it was probably the Berkeley School of Music, not New England Conservatory. In any case, and he has a great story about finding Jaco Pistorius naked on his couch one morning. <laughs> anyway, Steve Steve was a big enthusiast for Bob Mould, both in the Sugar inc- Incarnation and this this uh, album Workbook, and that's how I got exposed to this song. That's great. I, I don't. Yeah, so and it's Bob how Mould, he got exposed. Well. Uh, to Jocko Pastorius. Well, Jocko was was practicing bass, so he wasn't completely exposed to Jocko. <laughs> he, was, he had a well placed bass on his lap. He literally woke up <laughs> wow. one morning and like Pat had let had let like his friend Jocko crash on the couch, and Jocko was like naked playing bass on the couch. I mean, that sounds like both a euphemism and something that is real. Yeah, it sounds like a fig leaf. It's a fig leaf. Oh, <laughs> no. boy. Yeah, which like, means yeah. that we've brought this show full circle. Full circle. And I, yep, like Machine Yeah, head. there we go. I love this episode, boys. Um, yes, this is a great time. <laughs> even though it didn't involve uh, Lisa Loeb, but she'll be back. You know, she'll be warming up. Well, if we soon. keep talking about how she opened for us, we'll just oh lure her back goodness. with anger. You're going to do that again? <laughs> huh? All right, everybody. Follow us on all the socials because we're on all the socials. Download those playlists. I mean, go back into the description and click the link because we have playlists every week that that basically you can listen to the songs that we talk about on this show. Send everything to dadbandland at gmail.com if Dad you're not on our socials. And Dad Band Land is produced by me and Jeffy Branion. Cool Sonic Pastiche by Jeffy. Editing and Starburns production by Kyle McGraw. Our theme song is by Adam Korn. A giant shout out to us, the people here. Woo! Kevin Burke, Brian Frank, Jeffy Branion, and myself. Uh, Great time. Dad Band Land! Dad Band Land! Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Starburns Audio, a podcast network.